We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the ASA show here on rotorrunners.com. That's the advanced sport analytics show. We're talking NFL week four, batting first, leading off a returning champion. It's a uh, Stuart Gibson. What's going on, Stuart? We're going to talk week three in a second. How's a, uh, how's a week four treat nearly, nearly weeks for uh, recording this on a Wednesday night for the people out there just so you know. So obviously the information may change as the week progresses, but all our thoughts are pertaining to uh, what's going down as far as a Wednesday night. Stuart, uh, how's a, uh, How's life treating you? How's football treating you these days? Good. Uh, returning, not so, not so much a champion and a bit wounded. I, um, <laughs> just like, I don't know. I actually didn't do terribly on the main slate. I, I was kind of like just on the double up cusps. I actually got pushed over with like that big Keenan Allen drive at the end. Um, but you know, I was excited to talk, uh, showdown slates this week and, you know, had been, uh, kind of enjoying those and playing those reasonably well early this year and uh, didn't do so hot on the Thursday or Monday uh, showdown. So uh, I don't know, come limp, limping in uh, to, to week four a bit, but uh, yeah, hopefully going to, going to pick up, uh, you know, pick up the broken pieces and uh, put it back together for week four. It was a, uh, it was by default returning champ. It was into show. Like you beat nobody. It was just the two of us, I suppose. But uh, yeah, and my week didn't go so great either. I guess we'll talk about that. We'll reminisce. Uh, you know, it's DFS. All we care about is this week. We don't care about next week or the one that just happened, but it's also worth to talk about because I had way too much, uh, Carson and, yeah. uh, that was, and I feel like a lot of people way too much Carson. He was like, just in the way the information kind of, you know, flooded throughout the week was that, you know, Penny not playing. It's like, well, he had some fumble issues and that's a new thing for him. And I just think the the general idea of like, oh, a guy fumbled, he can't play him ever again because that doesn't mean he's going to fumble going forward, but I guess you can't play a guy after they fumble. I don't really know how that works. I'm not bitter though. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. Not bitter at all. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, bird, bird was not the word. Unfortunately, I had way too much bird and that did not work out for me either. Uh, also joining us, uh, Brandon Adams. You guys know him from the poker world, from the DFS world, from the guy probably at the top of, uh, many DFS contests these days. Brandon, how's, uh, how's life treating you? It's great, man. I'm super happy to be on the show with you. Uh, you were a, a request for this podcast. 
I, I've been a big fan for a long time. Am I blushing? Am I, do I look flattered? I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Likewise, the feeling you get. You know, I, 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 I just love everyone that laughs at their own jokes. <laughs> is that what I do subconsciously? Oh no, I don't want to be that guy. Is, is that me? No, it's just it's a comforting voice. I've been I've been following for a long time. I appreciate it. How's the how's the football? Uh, you know, we're still at the quarter pole, basically rounding a rounding out after week four. How's the football treating this this uh, these days? And you know, how's week four looking for you? Yeah, it's been a good season. Um, I had had some astonishingly good like starts of the season the past couple of years and this year uh I'm at about break even which is which is odd like football you're highly levered not only to your best lineup in an individual week but if you're a tournament player you're highly levered to your best lineup for the whole season hmm which is kind of a crazy concept and it speaks to just how high variance football DFS is. Um, but I've had the, uh, the unusual experience of being break even the first three weeks despite playing tournaments, um, which feels kind of good because there were some opportunities where it could have been one of those weeks where you, you dink everything. Um, but yeah, I'm optimistic going forward. Yeah, it is the the big swings. It is amazing how one week can definitely change your your season depending on you know one two v two or one v one, and that's all it takes to, to to move the needle for sure. It's it's pretty incredible how that works. You do all the research, and it comes down to should I play this guy or that guy? That's how it goes sometimes. Well, a lot of people will play multiple contests in a way where it's theoretically possible where you could have Eric Crane's. Two million dollar line, two point two million dollar lineup from a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, Sanu, by the way, egregious. Why is Mohamed Sanu in his lineup? Come on, no ceiling of Mohamed Sanu. He got. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know why I'm taking shots at Green from like two years ago. Like, come on, what are you doing? He must have been at home on the turf in like a good matchup or so or something like that. Uh, Stuart, we, we, we want to look back, Stuart, uh, just to you know take a peek as far as what went, what went down for uh, week three. Uh, some of the new quarterbacks that jumped in there. Uh, and how do we feel they're going to be uh, doing going forward as far as week four? Yeah, I mean, I think the story with week three was just like, could you get on uh, one of the young quarterbacks uh, who kind of just were thrust in the, into starting role? Not like a ton, not a ton of tape on them as far as, you know, giving us the ability to know with certainty how they're going to perform. Um, but, you know, both, uh, I, and I'm referring to Daniel Jones and Kyle Allen. We had uh, Mason Rudolph in there as well, who, uh, did not win you a tournament, I would assume. And, uh, Gardner Minshew is on the main slate, but I, I wanted to bring up Minshew because he's been, you know, he's been interesting, uh, so far in 2019. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what's tough with these guys moving forward is, uh, yeah, how do we, how, you know, do we expect what we saw in week one or I'm sorry, week three to, uh, be something we can expect for them moving forward or is it kind of a flash in the pan? Um, and, and then also just like, you know, we can also discuss more generally like the, the process of, thinking about a guy who's thrust into a starting role, whether it be quarterback or like lead running back who, you know, we just don't have much, uh, you know, game, uh, game tape on or data on. And, you know, how, how do we kind of think about, uh, you know, if that guy's a viable play. And I, mean, I think with look, Kyle Allen in particular, like we were talking before the show, like it didn't matter if you thought Kyle Allen was good or bad or, you know, what have you at $4,000 playing against the Arizona Cardinals, like, 
the guy just had to put, put four quarters together and there's like no way he wasn't going to reach value. Um, and, you know, I'm pulling up now on our uh, dropback efficiency and frequency app, just the uh, efficiency time series for, for Kyle Allen, Daniel Jones and Gardner Minshew. And we had talked about last week. I mean, Kyle Allen has seen like pretty decent efficiency metrics uh, when he, you know, had a spot start last year in week 17. And I mean, I think you could reasonably expect him to, uh, you know, hold like the fort down and not, uh, you know, put up like just terrible fantasy metrics. But we saw him over here in week three. I mean, this insane efficiency of uh, almost 0.9 fantasy points per drop back. Um, I don't know about you guys. I can't really see him, uh, you know, carrying that efficiency through uh, moving forward. I mean, just the matchup was too good. It just seems like such a spike uh, given the script we have on him in the past, including like what he's done this preseason, you know, per drop back. Um, so I don't know. For me, Kyle Allen's like a guy who can't really project moving forward the way uh, we, we saw him perform uh, this past Sunday. What do, what do you guys think? Yeah, Brandon, the, uh, the price is up. The matchup doesn't look as appealing. And, uh, you know, speaking of those guys, you know, Danny Dimes, people love saying the nickname too. I'm looking at the early, very, very early ownership projections. And as of right now, uh, of this grouping of these three guys you're talking about, as far as Minshew uh, and as far as Allen, we have Jones as the second highest projected guy from an ownership perspective on DK as of right now. Quarterback, the ownership never really gets too high. We're seeing it 9.8%. Again, this is on a Wednesday night. These things do change. Uh, but, you know, he looked great. People love the nickname. The Giants are our national team. Nationally, we saw Washington get absolutely shredded by Trubisky. Um, so I think of this grouping, I think the most popular guy clearly is going to be Jones. Brandon? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, he will be insanely popular, uh, cash game lock, and deservedly very popular in tournaments. Um, I think for me, um, in tournaments, uh, I'll just go ahead and take the chalk this week and play Jones, Wilson, and Mahomes almost exclusively with a lot of Mahomes. Um, Stuart and I have talked about it a bit this season, but because the pricing has become more condensed for quarterbacks, um, you've tended to have a situation where you're, your highest projected fantasy point per salary dollar is actually at the quarterback position. So you should, you should, unlike a lot of previous seasons, be inclined to spend up at quarterback. Um, so I think if, if you just had a strategy of being highly weighted towards Mahomes in all good matchups this season, it would be like a fine strategy for tournaments. Um, it would almost be to put like an MLB equivalent on it. It would almost be like if your elite pitchers on the night also had a 20% higher projected fantasy point per dollar. Um, that would be like you should just be highly inclined towards the, the chalk spend up options. Um, I think I, I'm not sure I totally agree with the pricing, but you should you should be airing a bit this season towards the the Mahomes of the world because they have better upside potential and and better distributions overall. If you uh, if you roster him at any point this season, he's yet to disappoint you. He's now at 7.5k on DK, and I'm sure you've heard people talk about like value and players getting value, and a lot of people say 
you shoot for the value score on DK for cash games that, you know, so you want 3X, the $50,000 salary. So like 3X of 7.5. But like you said, as far as the quarterback position, I sort of think in my head, and of course like 3X at 3K is different than 3X at 9K. It's a different conversation. But, uh, you know, as far as Mahomes or as far as quarterbacks, I want 4X, like, if you're going to do that thing. And, of course, it's all sort of, like, general rules and general guidelines. Is that something you abide by? Or is that something you think is nonsense, that the 3X, 4X thing? Um, I think it's pretty much nonsense. Um, <laughs> it's so it's so dependent on the exact slate. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, like, given the type of scores that it's taken to win – even like a 2,000 person contest, much less a 300,000 person contest in the past few years, you, you, you really need to think not only about the multiple that you're getting per player, but like what, what is the positional value? Um, can you afford to have even like a 18 at one position, even if it's a great multiple? Like you might need, you might need to have the position just score higher than that in absolute numbers. So, um, I think with quarterback, you should be inclined towards allocating a relatively high high dollar amount and hoping for that 35. Um, for me personally, I found myself spinning up for quarterback a bit more this season. And and you look for the big multiple since you do need a multiple on the overall spin. You look for the big multiple from your from your three and four K guys, not not from your. Not from your 7K guys. Yeah, exactly. People were saying last week, like, Allen was 4K, and if, oh, he's going to hit value if he, like, he's going to hit 3X or 4X if he gets 12 or 16 points. And there's a certain, like, uh, value to that position where, and, like, you know, guys like uh, Mahomes are going to double his score, like that that 12 to 14 or 16 point score, depending on how you're looking at it. Yeah, yeah, you don't want that from the quarterback. You want that from the the $3,500 guy that can get that in one play. Correct. That can get that multiple in one play. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Stuart? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like Mahomes has been very solid, and, and there have been kind of these guys who are like at this high, you know, high high tier of pricing, but have shown the ability to get up like over thirty. And um, yeah, I mean, like you said, like uh, you know, a guy hitting seven x or I'm sorry, three x at like seven to eight k is just so much more valuable than you know, your three X guy hitting three or, uh, something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, um, I have been paying up at quarterback this year. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, to try to follow like that, follow that lineup construction, but then not, uh, lose sight of some of these guys who are like very clear values down low, like Kyle Allen, uh, or we might have with Daniel Jones this week. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a laborious task of balancing, uh, that want to pay up at quarterback where, you know, your cash, where your, where your salary dollar maybe goes a little further versus, uh, not, you know, overextending yourself or bypassing like a value down low. There's a, we're going to further expand as far as our fair plays at quarterback, running back, wide receiver. We'll do that soon enough. There's a couple of things we want to hit on as well. And just some general thoughts. I mean, like, of course, Tom Mahomes, other guys as well. And I'm, I think it's interesting that you're already at like three quarterbacks, Brandon, like kind of hone in on, like they all, they all make sense. And as we always talk about as far as the ownership, it's never really too high as far as quarterback. Um, but to just sort of expand on the idea because people just sort of talk about DVP or tournaments, like it's this overarching like general concept and you sort of referenced it. And I think it's an important thing that the, people don't mention enough. Like 
the lineup construction when you're facing 300,000 lineups as opposed to facing 2,000 lineups is distinctly different. I just don't think people, a lot of times, that's not communicated the way it should be. Uh, like when you build a lineup and you know you're facing 2,000, you're going to be building it differently when you face, you know, five, ten times that, correct? Sure. So I think if you're in a GPP with 2,000 people, your your lineup doesn't have to be too wild. Like you can be not very far off uh, a cash game lineup. Actually, the millionaire maker lineup for this past week was quite clever. I'm sure everyone here follows Empire Maker on on Twitter. He uh, he commented on how it was it was actually quite a nice lineup construction. Uh, all of the individual players were high equity, high projected fantasy points per dollar. Uh, there was also some nice built-in correlation in the lineup, and it was just a little bit off kilter. So there were there were some deviations in particular spots that made it overall a quite quite clever lineup. Um, and it happened to win a 300,000-person tournament. In general, um, I think you want the slight deviations in, in your 3,000-person tournament. For the 300,000-person tournament, you can you can be inclined to go off the board a little bit and take those those one and two percent plays that are almost certainly duds but might hit, like you know our Miami guy. Kenyon Drake or something like this, <laughs> right? Bellage, whatever. Your 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 sprinkles of guys that that uh, no one's gonna have, but you know Drake Drake might pop off for thirty one week. Uh, I just, if if you don't mind, I just want to interrupt one thing on quarterback. Um, I neglected to mention Rivers in the conversation. Um, I have been dutifully watching the Miami Dolphin games. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, it's been quite notable that the quarterbacks can put up good performances, even if they do not pass the eyeball test. Brady uh, looked pretty terrible and put up a good fantasy score. It's just that they have possession all the time. So they almost can't fail. Like, I actually think that Rivers – um, there's no chance that he fails hmm. and they're going to have possession all the time. Uh, and if he gets inspired for one reason or another, he could put up a score that no one on the slate can match. So okay. Sorry. Um, I, I will have rivers as well. You feel obligated to run it back with someone in Miami side for making like a, a charger stack. No, if I did, it would be a highly unusual run back like Drake, for instance. Yeah. Although I, I don't know if you've been watching, but Balage has been taking some of the carries and I still think it's, it's a Drake thing. So yeah, Drake would be the guy. Yeah. Stuart, do you watch the Dolphins? I, I mostly watch, I watch the red zone. So I, I tend to avoid any <laughs> offensive play with the Dolphins. I mean, I know that I've seen box scores. I've seen highlights. I know they're, they're in uniforms or actual players playing for the Miami Dolphins. But uh, And I think I threw a couple of darts at Preston Williams or something like that. Yeah, Preston Williams passed the eyeball test. He might, he, he might be the guy. Uh, yeah. it, for me, it would be, it'd be Williams or, or Drake. Parker's been like an air yards guy. But, like, you know, he, the, no, there's been no efficiency uh, for what it's worth. But, uh, 
uh, yeah, it's the Dolphins. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> my brother flew down for that game. My brother lives in South Carolina, and he flew down to watch the Patriots. He's not even a Patriots fan. Just he had a buddy. He's like, yeah, he tagged along, and uh, what was that? That was an absolute disaster. Uh, just getting a, a flashback to the, how bad the Dolphins have been so far this season. And you know, so should we react to any of these things? It's a small sample. It's just three games, but they're looking historically terrible. And it just sort of like a general thought, like when we see like so and so versus you know tight ends, or so and so versus wide receivers. Like, it's this weird sort of push-pull thing because you need a big sample. Like, at least I like a big sample. A lot of times it's, like, matchup dependent. But by the time you get a big sample, the season's over. So, like, how do you handle things like that? You're going to hear all week, I'm sure, tight ends against Arizona. That might truly be a thing because tight ends against Arizona have absolutely crushed. But it's kind of sort of a small sample. But, you know, Will's, Will Disley, we'll talk about him soon enough, is going to be a thing week four. People are going to be loving him some Will Disley. He's also super cheap. So, like, how do you handle that as far as, like, the samples aren't that big, uh, and at what point do you trust them, and then all of a sudden we're at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I find myself trying to look at our distribution app and see just what guys have, like, this big tail. Like, there's just not that much, I think, value to hitting on a guy who is 1% owned but, had like, you know, that he just, like, just hits value, you know, or, like, puts up value, certainly in tournaments. Like, you need him to be a hit and really, like, in excess of value. So, um, I don't know. I haven't had really like a whole lot of success with some of these kind of dart throw low ownership plays, but when I am targeting guys, I'm trying to find, you know, a guy who, uh, when he does have that like, you know, 10%, top 10% type game, uh, you know, it's upside for a really big one. Like uh, one, one play I, you know, I tried and failed at this week was, uh, you know, on running back Miami was Jakeem Grant, who I thought was in a decent spot. Like he, uh, is, you know, a big play. Uh, receiver and also on punt return, I think gives him, uh, you know, access to like, you know, uh, maybe a very high kind of top 10% ceiling for, for him at his price. And then also with Albert Wilson out, um, I thought kind of there was maybe a little more leeway there for him to, uh, be kind of the de facto, uh, big play guy. Didn't work out, but, um, yeah, I mean, definitely trying to use those dart throws on guys who's, ceiling is exceptionally high and, and maybe whose floor is even particularly low. Um, so, you know, I don't know, I guess either fail miserably or, uh, you know, have, have that low ownership on uh, a guy who just reaches that like 10 ceiling, um, t- that 10% ceiling. So yes. my big picture view on this slate is that this slate is going to have a more condensed player pool than, than any slate I can remember. So I, I do think that this might be the dart throw slate because when I, when I look at the reasonable options for running back and wide receiver, it's, it's a quite condensed pool this week. Uh, so for me, the value of, of taking the punts that are, that are actually fairly low salary, that are fairly low fantasy point per dollar, but might hit that the value is strong this week. Just because I do feel like ownership is going to be quite condensed at every position. Let's have that conversation because how do you handle that? And it's case by case, I presume, depending on how, what, your, what your take is. Like for example, you know, Barkley being out, Wayne Gallman currently projected at 37.9% ownership, which is a really, really big number. Of course, that price is not fully adjusted to his new, uh, his presumed new role with the Giants here. Now they did, did it call somebody in? It's again, it's Wednesday night, but as of right now. Uh, at least where I'm sitting, he's going to get the majority of the touches there versus a Washington team, and he's priced at 4.6K. Uh, 
like Brandon, do you like take a stand on that? Do you say I'm going all in? I'm going to fully fade. I'm going to kind of kind of stay with the field, or is it general case by case and just whatever your feel may be? I for me this week is exceptionally weird, and I I will be having many more lineups than usual that are looking like cash game lineups, and they just have one unusual pivot, one or two unusual pivots. That's just how I will go about it this week. Um, I think this week is weird because you have a lot of unplayable teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean, you might not be that familiar with the advanced sports analytics research, but we, uh, we put out some stuff a couple years ago that was, that was looking at the type of lineup constructions that typically win slates. We put some of it in our book, advanced fantasy football. Uh, but one of the interesting findings is that of course the projected team score that's in an over under is a is a median number and uh every fantasy player knows that you should focus on on high implied point totals but but if anything our research shows that that's even more true than the casual player thinks and the reason is because if you look at one team, team A that has a projected total of 20 and you look at another team, team B that has a projected total of 25, the probability that, that team B hits say 40 total points is a vast multiple higher than the probability of team A hitting 40 points and 50 points, team A, it will happen never ever. And the, and the team implied for 25, it will happen every once in a while. So you should, because we need to be concentrated on those teams that have the highest score, if we're going to win tournaments, you, you really want to focus on the high projected totals. And there are many teams this week that are basically unplayable. Um, I mean, we only have eight, eight 1 p.m. games and four, uh, afternoon slate games. So we have 24 teams and by my take, a lot of them are completely unplayable. I mean, Oakland is probably unplayable. Buffalo is unplayable. Um, Miami is completely unplayable. Tennessee is basically unplayable. Arizona is unplayable. Uh, Jacksonville and Denver are unplayable and Chicago and the Vikings are unplayable. So we've got a really condensed slate here. Um, and the player pool in terms of the guys that can flash upside is likewise very condensed. So I think, I think we're going to see, um, not, not a boring slate, but a slate where to me, the ownership, the reasonable plays are quite condensed and you could, you could make your stand by just having one unusual play in that lineup. So the follow-up is the team that has a 25-point total as opposed to the team with a 20-point total, but if you can project the pie, the, delega- uh, the delegation of fantasy points on the 20-point team with a 20-point total to be much more significant pieces, like, for example, not these are accurate, but like the Chargers, you just you just, you just know Keenan Allen's going to get his, right? Uh, you know that Eckler is most likely going to get his. Maybe it goes to Jackson if this game's a blowout especially, but just how, how, the, how the, the, the slices are sort of delegated out. And then trying to figure out, okay, New England, we saw this last week. New England's projected to score 30 points. Okay, now figure out who's going to do what. And it made it a little bit easier with White, you know, not, not being in a team for having a baby. Congratulations, Em. Uh, but uh, just sort of that thought process of 
25 points projected is not 25 point, points projected, right? Like you have to sort of figure out, okay, now where are the fantasy points going to go? Yeah, so the question then is, uh, given that we have a limited number of lineups can we that we can put in, are you are you better off focusing on the high-scoring situations and taking the B and C options from the high-scoring situations or taking the, the A options from the 18-point projected totals? I would argue that on this slate, you're better off uh, pivoting towards the, the B and C options on the high projected point total games. Um, that's, that's what I'll tend to do. I will, I will sprinkle in the, the occasional like Wallers or, or if, if it's a 300,000 person field of Drake or what have you, but, but, or, or uh, Corey Davis and the 300,000, you have basically a lot of unplayable games. Um, and you're better off taking your, taking your chances that it's like, I don't know, Fuller that goes off in on, on Houston rather than, rather than taking your chance that it's, that it's some Oakland wide receiver. Do you agree with this, this approach this week, Stuart? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, one thing that's lo- sticking out to me this week is that in previous weeks, I think we've had clear front runners, like which team we expect to, uh, you know, be kind of like the team that can support the most fantasy production, uh, Dallas and New England. Uh, last week just matched up so well against Miami and New York. And uh, obviously, like, Miami is still on the slate again, but uh, our point projection app uh, doesn't have any team really popping as, like, just a – uh, heavy front runner to lead the slate in terms of points scored last week. I think we had Dallas as like a 20, 25% chance of topping the slate in points. And this week it's, uh, it's actually pretty even at the top. There's kind of like three teams that, uh, stand ahead of the field as like the most probable, uh, point topping teams. But then beyond that, I mean, you just get into a lot of teams in kind of like this three to, you know, 6% range. Uh, and then as Brandon mentioned, there's a handful of teams that are just like, you know, 1% chances uh, of topping the slate. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked terribly closely at the, um, at the, uh, you know, DraftKings lobby, uh, as we're only here on Wednesday, but, uh, I don't know. I imagine I'll kind of take my, my, my usual approach of targeting some of these, uh, you know, teams like two through two through six or whatever. And I think it actually maybe plays even more so this week where, there isn't one like, you know, Albatross team that's just, uh, you know, so projectably ahead of some of the other teams. I think it sets up nicely for kind of a, uh, you know, picking, picking from kind of teams like two through six, three through seven type, uh, type thing. Yeah. You got the KC and the Chargers and the Rams there and the Rams are the perfect example, right? It's like, who's your favorite Ram receiver? I don't know. <laughs> play them all and <laughs> just figure it out and just get multiple combinations. Like Brandon, have you cracked that code? Do we know who the best Rams receiver is yet? Or I don't know, but really those, know. those situations are perfect uh, GPP situations where, um, you know, it's one of them. Um, so for me, uh, it might be uh, cooks this week, just from a, from a GPP standpoint, he has nice distributions, uh, over his career. 
actually, Cooks and Woods both have better tournament distributions than Cup, although Cup is the hot the hot hand of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would tend to lean towards those guys, but but this is a for me a, a good illustration where you you're better off going with different slices of of the Rams rather than than trying to pick I don't know the Arizona player that does well. Um, so you try and and golf is like a like a buy low candidate at the moment as well. He's very unfashionable, uh, but to me. He, he, he has the type of profile that has upside. So, so I, I actually like the, the golf and two wide receiver combos and just rotate around, hope you hit the right one. Yeah, we're going to jump around as far as our favorite plays in each position in just a second. We do want to couple, touch on a couple more things. And by uh, the way, just, to, just, just to say, um, I'm, I don't really ever bet on, uh, on football games in terms of sides and, and so forth. But, but the um, Tampa Bay might be able to keep this, this game close. And, and this is, this is the type of game that has a nice, nice ceiling. Um, so yeah, this might be my favorite game stack of the, of the week. Yeah, that's the what, what 48 and a half as far as the total, the Rams are a 10 point favorite. I guess the one big concern is that maybe like the Rams just their, their D line just overwhelms that offensive line for Tampa and just, they just can't get anything off. But, uh, if, if we, the Tampa can get, can get going, I, I agree. Just, we definitely can see like a 35 to 24 kind of game or 35 27. That'll be good times for sure. And do we, do we agree in terms of like eliminating the field that there, there are, there are a lot of unplayables situations among these 24 teams. I mean, just, uh, I don't know if you watched the Chicago game, but it would seem that everyone in that game is unplayable <laughs> to me. I can definitely scratch off the Vikings and Bears, even though we we love all the individual players. We love Cook. We love Diggs. We love Thielen. Um, Montgomery might have some upside at some point in the season, but but how can we – really play any of these guys. Um, we can't play anyone in Miami. I can't imagine myself playing anyone Jacksonville and Denver. Um, Arizona guys in a big field, you might take a chance on on Johnson and Kirk only. Um, it's a pretty condensed field. So for me, my approach is going to be uh, I'm gonna play chalky stacks. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a Seattle stack. I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a Ram stack. I'm gonna have a Giant stack. And I'll have a Houston stack. I'll have a Charger stack, a KC stack, and a, and some Ryan Julio. I'll just, I'll just run, run chalky combos that, that we know work. You got anybody in that grouping, Stuart? Any of those guys in those teams where he's basically X and off? Anybody that you like to not X off, per se? Well, I forget what the list is um, exactly, but, um, like, I don't know. Did you say Denver was on that list? I'm sorry, Detroit was on that list. Like, I do like some. No, 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 no. Detroit, um, I mean, Galladay is going to be – that's actually a great uh, game to stack in general because I think think you have on Detroit six playable guys, uh, Stafford, Carrion, Galladay, Hawkinson, Amendola Jones, maybe not Amendola, but you, you have basically six playable guys and then KC is, is the favorite. So f- for me, 
you want a lot of variations of Mahomes, Watkins, Kelsey with with three of Stafford, Carrion, Galladay, Hawkinson, Amendola, Jones. Okay, yeah, yeah, totally agree. I, I didn't, I, I forgot, was forgetting if that was like a team you had on there. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of have to look at it more. Um, but I, like, I don't know. Buffalo, I think, was a team you xed off, and like they do have some guys who can put together some big plays. I mean, I, yeah. Uh, so, so I and I used Oakland as an example earlier, as not not to try to pick a guy, but Tyrell distributionally ha- has the right thing for tournaments. So you could play one. You could play Tyrell as a, as a complete dart throw. And then, and then on Buffalo, you could play Brown. Um, but for me, Detroit has amazing tournament characteristics. Carry on looks like the best tournament play on the slate this week. Um, he passes the analytics test and he passes the eyeball test in terms of just really looks like he wants to do it. He, like he wants to be a guy this season that's that's on the 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 elite list so for me uh he's the best tournament play of the week uh gallman i think is bad chalk um well we don't know what's going to happen with the giants roster exactly but gallman i mean hasn't ever done anything as far as i remember (laughs) dean do you have a, a different dfs memory than that like Hasn't he's, he he's underwhelmed before? Yeah. He's, he's, he's he has not actually smashed. In my, in my brain, he's not he's not had like a, this absolute smash game, and he's had opportunities before. Yeah, he's a guy that maybe sneaks into your cash game lineup because it might just be too many opportunities. He's too likely to get to get to eighteen or whatever. But the probability that he's getting thirty DraftKings points is close to zero, from what I recall. So uh, I would not have him in any tournament lineups and carry on. You could lock him in if you wanted to. So uh, I think Detroit just sets up very nicely. Galladay obviously has extreme upside and, and, and Marvin Jones is an upside type player. Um, although his projections are not amazing for this, this game. Yeah, you mentioned carry on his, uh, you know, CJ Anderson getting booted from the team that kind of opened up his snaps last week and, you said he wants it more. It's funny. He was actually tweeting out about like wanting it more. I'm not sure if that's who you were referencing or something like that, but uh No, that's not what I was referencing, yeah, I, but, I, but he had like I, I don't know if you caught the, the the Twitter meme of he had the he tried to jump over the guy, but he jumped too early. <laughs> but it, but it, like you know that the guy who's trying to jump a tackle you're basically risking a broken vertebrae when you do that, right? So you want it. You know who's not doing that is Todd Gurley. Like Todd Gurley's like, yeah. nah, I'm good. I'm just gonna step out of bounds. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't need try, to, I don't need two more yards. <laughs> when you try to like get a a two and a half foot vertical over the the three hundred pounder that's coming to tackle you, like that's um, I don't know. That says you want it to me. And Vernon Davis does it at like age thirty four or whatever it is. He's done it multiple times this year. So good for him. We appreciate that uh, as fantasy players. But stay healthy too, Vernon. Uh, we wanted to touch on just sort of general concepts, I suppose, as far as uh, the showdown slates. People love the showdown slates, Brandon. Do you, do you play these at all? Because I, I dabble for funsies, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I'm not like the guy to like, lean on as far as best advice. And you can argue small sample size and just kind of sort of throwing darts. And some people just try to get all the, all the bases covered. And it's funny coming into a, well, we're recording this on Wednesday night. It'll be out there on Thursday. And 
leading up to that Philadelphia game, like Philadelphia with the, the mess of trying to figure out who's going to score their touchdowns or, you know, get their touches is a perfect or not so perfect, depending how you look at it, showdown team, because there's a lot of different options there uh, to choose from and none really jump off the board, but a lot of guys can do it. Yeah. we So at Advanced Sports Analytics, we we haven't really begun to tackle the showdown slates, but it's in a sense right up our alley because – we focus on distributions and correlations, whereas other analytics sites focus on median distributions, or median outcomes. So I think the showdown slates are really all about distributions and correlations because in a showdown slate, if, if I'm playing heads up against you, uh, I, I really care a lot more about having a tight distribution of outcomes than I do about having a higher, a higher projection because it doesn't, it doesn't benefit me to have a guy who might score two touchdowns, but often has a a close to zero game. It, It doesn't, it really doesn't benefit me in the showdown slate. Uh, it's, it's about just sort of being the golden glove center fielder that's just right there with a, with a medium strength lineup every night. That, that's how you win in the head to heads. And then, and then the tournaments, these are really quite absurd things that we have (laughs) with like 200,000 people and you have a limited player pool and everyone knows who the best plays are. Like this is, this kind of a crazy concept, but there, uh, most of the game is about avoiding duplicated lineups and 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 getting getting the whole uh, the whole projected odds that you're entitled to and and the way that we do that is by having uh, lineups that have upside but have little little shot of being duplicated mightily. So yeah, I mean I've been interested in the showdown slates because I do feel like you do have this limited player pool. But there are more degrees of freedom with uh, regards to like what positions you can select and the whole captain, you know, captaining a player that can be at really any position or can be a kicker or defense. Like to me, it opens up like I think maybe edges that are a little different than uh, we might see on a regular slate where uh, like the challenge of kind of a main slate for the most part is uh, at least in cash, like projecting players and condensing this large universe of players uh with pretty tight restraints on like where we can plug in players aside from like flexing a player um, and figuring out like which player is the highest value showdown slate to me feels a little different where uh, your player pool is pretty narrow. And I think for the most part, people get a sense of like what players are good and um, you know, what players aren't, but uh, positionally I think there's a lot of, you know, work we can do on figuring out um which, which positions and really thinking of positions as like roles, you know, roles that players play in a game and, and how that position or role relates to uh, game script is to me like pretty tantamount. So um, I actually this week like just kicked off kind of a, a little like one-off uh, analysis that hopefully, you know, it will probably publish in terms of a blog and I would love to put together some sort of like predictive tool around it that um, looks at, lineup construction, not really from a player specific standpoint, but from a positional standpoint. And, um, you know, obviously like showdown uh, in terms of like team selection is kind of zero sum, right? Like if you're, 
picking, uh, you know, the underdog, uh, for two players, you have to have four on kind of the favorite team. And, and, you know, I, I've kind of put together this model that, uh, looks at, uh, you know, how, how kind of our exposure to different teams and exposure to different positions or like roles, uh, can change around, you know, game total, uh, spreads and stuff like that. Um, I put together this kind of crude logistic regression, which is, and this is looking at, uh, specifically at cash games, uh, which I think lend themselves towards a, what's called like a logistic regression where you're looking at kind of a binary outcome, like win or lose, doesn't really matter by how much, um, or how little. And, um, yeah, I mean, just trying to find kind of like what are, uh, kind of good best practices for implementing in terms of just hitting that one, you know, hitting, uh, hitting the win, not the loss. And, um, I don't know the, the results are, 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 are somewhat, uh, in kind of preliminary stages. And I'm just looking at like the last, I think, you know, few weeks of, of data points. Um, it'll be interested to see kind of how the trends, uh, play out over time. But, um, you know, I was looking at, at kind of all these variables in context of like how they relate to, uh, a spread and, and kind of increasing or decreasing point totals. Um, and I don't know, I can, I can maybe just go through quickly and like summarize some of the results I'm finding. Unfortunately, I don't have it like in an application form, but uh, we're seeing that in uh, kind of neutral game environments in terms of like average uh, totals and pretty even, uh, you know, low low spread or near even matchup. Um, it actually is a bit advantageous to to give a little more exposure to the underdog. Um, again, this is and this is like kind of not really my opinion that that's coming through here. I'm just looking at like the uh, model results and kind of what the coefficients are suggesting, suggesting that, you know, there's a higher, higher win probability if you, uh, are going with, uh, you know, in, in kind of a neutral game environment, a very even, uh, exposure to the different teams, maybe even slightly more exposure to, to the underdog, uh, you know, giving like two, two players to the favorite, four to the underdog. Um, but in general, it's kind of a best practice to captain a, uh, you know, a player who's on the favored team and in particular is seeing like, uh, you know, increased win probability when you're captaining a player who gains fantasy points through the air, whether that's a receiver or quarterback. Um, seeing like tight end showing through as a position that kind of captains well. Uh, not sure if that's like a small sample size or what. It kind of seems like an odd position to just be like, oh, like we must captain tight end. But, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it seems like running backs, um, I don't know, like in, in, they become less predictable in kind of these neutral game environments, especially with more of these running back cut by committees where there are running backs who, you know, th- their volume is tied specifically to like a certain game script and these neutral game environments, like teams just kind of go like a, a an in between where it becomes hard to project like which kind of role running backs will really succeed. Um, let's see. Um, in neutral game environments, it seems like, uh, kickers are, are, are particularly viable as where, uh, when we do get kind of like a skewed, uh, high spread, like they become a little less viable. Um, and like needless to say, as spread increases, the exposure to the favored team, uh, increased exposure to the favored team becomes increasingly desirable. I think that makes sense. Like, you know, if we can expect a team to put together more points, um, you know, we, we want more of that team. Um, it looks like, uh, you know, they suggest that captaining a QB actually becomes less desirable with increasing spread. Um, I don't know. I have like some, like, I'm not really sure why this is, this is coming out, but maybe one hypothesis is just like, 
to produce a game, you know, a game that produces a high spread has uh, one quarterback that is kind of at an increased probability of failing and one quarterback who's at a high probability of being on a t- team that plays from the lead such that, you know, that their, their uh, reliance on them isn't quite, uh, you know, as necessary. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, point that the model was showing as we, as we, you know, can project games to be more lopsided. It becomes increasingly valuable to captain a running back. And like, uh, we saw that a couple of weeks ago with like Nick Chubb, uh, who really hit well in a, and that, and that, I mean, that partially happened because he, he didn't have his backup running back behind him, but, uh, it does, it does seem that maybe as games become more lopsided, it, it becomes increasingly valuable to focus on, uh, running backs, whether that's a, a, a kind of a rushing role running back that you expect to play from ahead or a pass catching running back that you expect to play from behind. Um, thought that was an interesting note. And, um, I don't know, in, in general, it does seem like as over, as team total increases, there becomes an increasing importance on, uh, skill players. Uh, quarterbacks and kickers are quite viable, like in low total games, but as points, as point total increases, uh, we see a higher win probability by increasing the, number of skill players you roster and also uh, by rostering a skill player, the captain position. Uh, I don't know. My hypothesis there is just like skill players have access to the six point touchdown as where quarterbacks uh, in general kind of have that four point touchdown. Um, but, you know, one thing that's worth calling out, like, you know, even if like wide receiver is a desirable position to roster heavily or even captain, it's also like, for many teams, kind of a harder, like you were talking about pieces of the pie, like, okay, we want to captain, you know, Philadelphia, if we wanted to captain a Philadelphia receiver this Thursday, or Philadelphia pass catcher, including like tight ends, it's not quite as clear, like who that should be, you know, it could be Aguilar, it could be Alshon Jeffrey coming back, it could be Zach Ertz as we're like, quarterback, uh, you know, there's only going to be one quarterback uh, that, you know, if, if you're focusing on like an, uh, you know, the underdog or, or focusing on the favorite, right? Like you're just choosing one of one. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting and, and I'll kind of, I think uh, on the ASA site, draft all this up and maybe blog format, maybe put like a predictive app together. Um, but yeah, just some notes I had from, from this uh, logistic model that I put together. Um, yeah. I thought it was some interesting findings and I'm definitely uh, as the season kind of rolls out, be, uh, you know, continuing to update it and see kind of what trends are presenting themselves. Cause I, I do think, uh, the showdown, these showdown slates kind of offer an opportunity to uh, really look at, for edges in regards to kind of roster construction from a positional and uh, game script standpoint. Yeah, so this is this is going to be a bit of a transitional season in that mm-hmm. clearly the showdown slates are taking on more and more importance from the site's perspective. Um, it used to be, for instance, that they would focus on the Thursday through. Monday slate or the Thursday through Sunday slate. And then uh, when the 4 p.m. games were over, they would have the primetime slate that would be uh, Sunday night and Monday night. Now they've gone towards towards this showdown slate, this one-game slate. Um, so it's clearly taking on more importance from the site's perspective. And it's going to be a transitional year from the player perspective. Um, I think a reasonable hypothesis is that since it's taken on more importance from the site's perspective, the sites will price it more efficiently 
which from a DFS perspective, it's, it's always important to know when you can count on a slate to be priced efficiently versus not because the site has a difficult problem. They have to price the same for both 300,000 person tournaments and head to head cash games, which is always going to be a difficult problem. Um, but what that means for say a major league baseball slate, if it's priced perfectly, we could expect that the heads up lineups will be, uh, highly dollar weighted for pitching and then, and then punting hitting most of the time. Whereas the big field tournament slates will be low price pitching and high priced hitting just based on the way the distributions play out for, for showdown. Uh, it's somewhat similar where if the pricing is perfect from the site's perspective, give it, keeping in mind that they have this impossible problem that they have to price the heads up and the 300,000 person tournament at the same time. What that will in general mean is that when you're playing a heads up match, you're going to want to focus on playing the, the players that have the tight distributions. And when you're playing the tournaments, you're going to want to focus on making unusual pivots at the captain spot and or playing people that have the high upside distributions. Um, so in heads up, most of the time, you're going to want quite boring situations where you have the tight distributions, like you play two kickers or something like this and, and the, the quarterback at the captain. I think most of the time, uh, for heads up, the, the, the lineup is quite, quite a boring lineup. Um, that is a, that is a low variance lineup. And, and why is the optimal heads up lineup often having two kickers or at least one? Because, um, they tend to be priced in a way where they could conceivably be used in a tournament, which because of their distributions means that they have to be priced at high projected fantasy point per dollar. Um, and for heads up, they're always going to have the nice property that they're, they're guaranteed to score some middling amount of points. Um, and then of course, choo- choosing your quarterback for the captain spot, it's the same, same logic that they're guaranteed to post uh, a half decent number in your captain spot. I want to play shit on slate now. I, I was always in the fence and I'm like, eh, whatever, but you guys, uh, you know, it's a big, pretty big pitch. I feel like I've learned a lot. Actually, my, my thing has always been, uh, I just sort of create my own narrative. Like, well, what if this score is 30 to three? What, you know, what does the box score look like? Uh, and you try to figure out the correlation and things like that, obviously, but, uh, lots of good stuff to take in there. And a lot of people probably don't, most people don't think nearly as in depth as far as a showdown. And it, it seems like simple in concept and theory because there's only so many players to play. But, you know, when you break it down that way, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. I will be playing Showdown this Sunday night. I don't know who's but playing. people are pretty sharp, man. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. The Bears D at the captain spot was insanely popular. Yeah. Oh, and, Gabriel, and if you, was... and if you, if you watch that game, like that was, that was a sharp play. I think in some of the high dollar things, 40% of people had Bears D at the captain spot or something. This is insane. Wow. And that, that was, is a big number. That was kind of a, it was kind of a sharp move. Ex post, I didn't do it. 
<laughs> we uh we, we promised to talk about some picks some of our some of our favorite players at each position. Uh, Brandon, you kind of already said like you know at least as of right now as of a Wednesday night, you, you reserve the right to change your mind. Uh, you like Mahomes at the top. You talked about Wilson as well. Uh, you know Mahomes. I think this is his first game ever in a dome. By the way, is that weird? I just that seems surprising, right? Uh, greatest show on turf going to Detroit. Also, uh, as of Wednesday night, Slay is dinged in the secondary for Detroit. Uh, like if he doesn't go, even more recent. Play Mahomes twice. Uh, it's even an even better play, I suppose. Uh, Stuart, as far as quarterbacks this week, who's jumping out for you? Yeah, I, I like Mahomes. Uh, you know, the, the the indoor turf thing I think uh, could work well for him. And if there's a lot of people trying to pay down for for Jones, uh, you know, I think there's a good opportunity to pay up there. Um, I don't know. One kind of like similarly priced pivot away from Daniel Jones. Uh, Jacoby Brissett's been pretty solid so far this year. He's got a good matchup uh, against o- Oakland, also a dome game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Colts have looked good and moving the ball well. And, and uh, you know, Jacoby hasn't, like, been, you know, this, like, Lamar Jackson, like, you know, big run type breaker. But he does factor in with his legs and uh, seems to be a fairly active runner uh, when the Colts into the red zone. So, I think it's kind of an interesting uh, play down there around Daniel Jones if you kind of want to build lineups that are similar to what people are going to be doing with Daniel Jones, but kind of just move off them in a little way. Jacoby Brissett kind of interests me. Would you need Hilton? He's currently questionable. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if he's not playing, that does uh, it does I think make him a tough play. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. The weapons just seem super, super limited. They're cheap. That's something. <laughs> I suppose, if you want to make that argument. Uh, I mean, Mac, I, it doesn't seem like a great correlation because he's not a, you know, a running back that catches the ball a ton. And we'll talk about running backs in a second. I like Mac, assuming he's good to go and, uh, you know, ready to play his regular allotment of plays. But as far as other quarterbacks, Brandon, you said you're keeping it fairly concise. Just, just keeping it simple, right? You're not being, you're not going to be goofy here. Yeah. I think you can keep it really tight. I think Rivers is a guy you can go with. Mahomes is like the A plus option, your best option. And then Russell Wilson right there in the middle too. I think and then, yeah, Wilson and Jones. But he's those, gonna be they're gonna be so heavily owned though, you know. Uh, yeah, and uh, then you can sprinkle in some some Lamar and um personally I've I've always had Ryan every week. Because it's just – he's a guy that by the data and the eyeball test, he's just a highly volatile guy. And he has Julio. Yeah, he has the weaponry. Um, he can he can go off at any time. And just at the wide receiver, because I do think it's a fairly straightforward week. We know who to play uh, this week. But – Every week, have a lot of Julio. By the distribution, by the distributions, by the eyeball, eyeball tests, like, it's just, it's just amazing how fast he puts up the fantasy points. Like, you, just every week. Yeah, I mean, Goff is also something I'm considering as well. If you expect that game to shoot out to some degree, and, you know, if, if you think Stafford's gonna be playing a little comeback, throwing the ball a little bit more, I don't mind him. He's pretty cheap on DK as well. Stafford at 5.5k. And I'm not ready to just give up on, on Kyler Murray, but he looked really bad last week. That offensive line looks really bad. But, you know, I'm still not ready to cross him out and maybe maybe use some recency bias in your favor. 
Uh, Stuart, feel free to throw anybody else out as far as quarterback, or we can touch on some running backs. I'm down to get to go uh, on the running back. Fire away. Uh, yeah, I mean, talked about him already. Carry on, I think, in a great spot. Uh, in the dome, KC, uh, you know, could jump over, uh, could jump all over Detroit early, but uh, I think Carry on's kind of a multifaceted guy. I just love like what his volume has been doing over the last, uh, really to start the season. I mean, he started, uh, you know, down where he just really wasn't getting, you know, getting like a quarter of Detroit touches. And every week he's just been factoring more. Once I get this app to load, can pull it up. Uh, but yeah, he's been factoring more and more into the Detroit, uh, offensive game plan. And, um, yeah, so I'm really high on carry on this week and it's probably so low. I mean, this, this could be, uh, you know, the last week we see him, uh, sub six. I mean, so I got his up, his, uh, you know, volume time series up now. And I mean, you know, he started the season below a quarter of, uh, Detroit touches. He was up near, uh, you know, over a third of Detroit touches last week. And he's just been kind of on the steady, steady climb. So I like hearing a lot. Uh, CMC, are we paying up for him? So the answer for me is going to be no all season. So I mean, it, I, I've been wrong, but that's just going to be my answer. So. What, why, why no all season? Um, it, I, it's something that Stuart and I touch on every podcast, but it's, it's related to upside potential in tournament lineups. Now McCaffrey was in the millionaire maker winning lineup last week and it has been a good play to play him for the past year and a half. However, I think steady state, you don't, you don't want to be paying this much for, for running backs if you're trying to win 300,000 person tournaments. If, if 8,800 of your, of your $50,000 is going towards a running back where yeah, they can occasionally bust out the huge play, but for the most part, they're getting small little fantasy points with lots of time off the clock and you're hoping for the 30 points. Um, it's, it's just, it's not a, it's not a great spend if you're trying to win a huge tournament. It has worked in the past year and a half. It's unlikely to work in the steady state. What's he's the really affecting route? your he's really affecting your ability to get the lineup as a whole over 250 fantasy points. In my mind, when you spend eight eighty eight hundred for one running back, the probability of your lineup hitting 250 plus fantasy points goes way way down. Now, look, you've been able to make it work the past year and a half, but I think steady state it's not a good idea. What about Eckler? AK, can you can you pay AK for a running back? Um. Again, I would not do it in Eckler's case um, for a combination of reasons. Uh, Eckler's data looks amazing this season, but he's on the uptrends. Um, for me, he's not talent-wise the guy that I would pay AK for. The matchup is very good, but you have to say rationally – why would you really push it? Um, you don't need to. You can coast to victory to Miami. So Jackson. Like Miami played out of their mind last week to get one touchdown. So you, you have to, um, 
you have to think like, why would they press this guy? What? How is he going to get forty fantasy points? Are they just going to? Is he just going to play to the wall every every play for the whole game? I don't think so. Um, so for me, no, you don't spin. For me, this is a week that you that you take your your chances. You play carry on a lot of carry on, and then you take your chances at RB two. You have to love Devonta for tournaments. Um, I don't know. Do you do you watch a lot of Atlanta games? No. Well, I, I know that the, you know Smith has a concussion, and what, what did Freeman play? What ninety percent of the snaps last week? So uh, if he plays ninety percent of the snaps this week, and Freeman's what is he like five K or something like that? Five K. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, and he has amazing distributions for tournaments. Um, also, just in terms of narrative. Atlanta fans love this guy. Like everyone wants this guy to really succeed. This week sets up nicely for for him to have his game. Um, and like he's always passed the eyeball test. He's always passed the tournament distribution test. Like this guy has some some just crazy games. Um, so he would be a guy I would take chances with. Chris Thompson, even though the team sucks. Uh, hmm. I would take some chances there just because he he has the right tournament profile and at 4500 I I like his distributions. Um for net our data says no, but I think he's a guy you could have a sprinkle of. You, uh, you can't talk me into very much for net this week. I mean, yeah. his, his efficiency is just so bad like yeah, I I get the volume case there for him, but man, I mean, I've been kind of try, I've been getting talked into Fournette uh, the last couple of weeks, even against my you know better judgment. Just given, I mean, the guy just like he gets a lot of touches, but he just does so little with those touches. I don't know, I can't really be talked into Fournette this week. <laughs> yeah, and and Marlon Mack with the um with the twenty six to nineteen projected point total. Um, like he's a guy that could very likely have two touchdowns. Um, he's a, he's a decent tournament option and you could take your chances with new England running backs. Uh, you could have some David Johnson. Um, you could have some, some Justin Jackson, just maybe he's the guy that gets two TDs. Like I, I, I think you can, you can take some punts at running back this week. That's that's kind of what it's going to take. I'd I'd rather take punts at running back than wide receiver this week. Stuart, I know we're up against the clock, so we got we got to kind of pump out a couple of receivers for the people out there. Maybe a tight end or two. Who are your favorite receivers? Just fire off a couple of names. Feel free to throw out a tight end as well. Yeah, I mean Keenan, obviously Lockett. I think uh, pairs nicely with Russ. And, uh, yeah, definitely interested in taking some shots with the Los Angeles guys. Cooks is kind of my de facto preferred receiver uh, with Los Angeles. But, I mean, man, Cooper Cup, you can't really argue with his results lately. And he's uh, he's really, like, I think the knock with him has always been he lacks that high ceiling, and he's really shown it lately. So, I don't know. I see myself maybe uh, kind of uh, becoming a little more bullish on Cup uh, moving forward. Tight end uh, probably won't stray too far away from uh, – you know, chalk like Disley, I think at that price against Arizona makes a lot of sense. Uh, Olsen's price doesn't climbed up a ton. And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, think he, he's looked good so far. I mean, injury with him is always a concern. And, uh, yeah, with Daniel Jones, I mean, he's kind of 
maybe could reinvigorate Evan Ingram. I mean, he looked awesome last week and, uh, you know, they were really looking for him kind of with some downfield plays. So, uh, yeah, those are some guys that I like at tight end. How about yourself, Brandon? A couple of receivers, a couple of tight ends, maybe a game stack or two that you like, and then feel free to tell the people maybe they're just discovering advanced sports analytics, ASA. Uh, let them know how they can find you uh, find and learn more about uh, your sites. Sure. So I think wide receiver is pretty straightforward this week. You play uh, a lot of Keenan, even though that's boring. He's just so <laughs> likely to have a big number. Um, you play a lot of Lockett. Uh, you sprinkle in the Rams receivers. You play a lot of Sammy Watkins, love Galladay. Uh, you play a lot of Hopkins. He's a fairly high probability to be wide receiver one. Um, you play a lot of Julio. You play some Odell. Um, then, uh, if you watched, Monday Night Football, Trey Quinn is a great play at 3K. Um, he actually, just by the eyeball test, had not even a great game, and he still posted a pretty good box score. Like, it seems it seems likely that regardless of box score, uh, regardless of game script, he'll post a pretty good uh, stat line, uh, and he's only 3K. So that, seem, that seems like kind of a kind of a tournament staple this week. Um, and then... There are, there are a lot of worthy punts. If you will go to advanced sports analytics and browse our player distribution app, you can just sort of choose your, your low projected fantasy point per dollar guys based on guys that have flashed upside in the past. They tend to be guys that, that are, that are speed guys, um, like your, like your John Browns, um, on the high price, Godwin's a guy that's going to have some pretty big upside this week. Um, even as we mentioned earlier, like Tyrell on a terrible team should have some upside. Christian Kirk. Um, tight end. Uh, I think Ingram is going to be very, very popular this week because he's a natural pairing with Jones. He's your best pairing with Jones. So, um, I'll tend to be pretty concentrated, I think, at tight end this week, paying up a lot for Ingram, paying up a lot for Kelsey um, on some Detroit stacks. I'll have some Hawkinson. I'll have some Disley. I'll have some Ebron. Um, but for me, a lot of paying up for, for Ingram and Kelsey. Yeah, that's where I'm at as well. Uh, I'm not sure if we still have Stewart. I'm not sure if he's still with us or not. You may have uh, took off for a second because he had things to do. We got things to do as well. Uh, again, one more time, Brandon, if you want to tell the people about ASA before we step aside and get out of here. Sure. So Advanced Sports Analytics, uh, Stuart and I have been working on it for four years. Um, we are intended for the serious tournament daily fantasy sports player. We, uh, we fill a hole that other analytics sites are, are, are not really, uh, occupying. We, we focus on distributions and correlations. So we're really focused on trying to find, uh, those tournament winning lineups, those, those lineups that flash a lot of upside. Um, we do all of the major sports and golf. Uh, yeah, give it, give it a try. We do weekly memberships. So you can just give it a try for a week and, and see how it goes. There you have it. Uh, good luck everyone as far as week four for, uh, 
for Stuart, who I don't believe was with us any longer, <laughs> thanks for watching. Uh, for Brandon Adams, I'm Dean. It was fun. Dean, this was before. fun. This was fun. It was great to get on a pod with you. I've listened too many times. Like I thoroughly And I love your it. background. I love the Marlins Stadium. <laughs> there you go. It's an, it's an amazing park. It's a very nice park. All right, y'all. Good luck. Crush this week as far as football week four. He's Brandon. He was Stuart. I'm Dean. Thanks for watching. We're out of here. Enjoy.